for me, this is one of those weeks that it was to, time to uh, declare that I was going to reclaim my yard. Anybody ever have those weeks? The landscaping was getting out of hand. Shrubs needed to be trimmed. Weeds needed to be pulled. Grass needed to be mowed. But that means that the lawnmower needs to start. And it didn't. It didn't. And I've been expecting for a while that maybe the battery was getting close to done. And so I, I pulled it, went and purchased another. Which, by the way, if you haven't bought a battery in a while, that battery that you bought for 120 bucks, whenever you bought it last, just so you know, it's 220 for a lawnmower, 220. And I'm going to stop there so that I don't start grumbling, all right? Because that's what's going to happen. I brought it home, installed it, turned the key. Nothing. Nothing. Decided to just check the battery, attached it to the, to the uh, battery charger. Sure enough, the battery was low. Took it back to the store. Dude puts his little machine on it. Sure enough, bad battery. Now, I, I'm going to save you from my long, boring story and tell you it took me three tries. Three trips, three batteries before I finally got the one to work. How do you tell the difference? How do you tell the difference when you're just looking at them between the real battery that worked and the piece of plastic that looked like it was a real battery, I'm telling you, they, they both looked very much the same on the outside, but they were not the same. In our text today, from Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is going to raise the same question as it applies to Christians. Being a Christian. And what we're going to discover is that the outside alone doesn't tell the true story of who is and who isn't a Christian. Now, when I told my little battery fiasco story a second ago, some of you were like, I'd like to know where that was so that I can avoid purchasing a battery from there. Can I tell you one of the things that breaks my heart is that over the years I have observed people who sometimes after much coaxing will determine that they will finally try church. But in trying church, their story is they met the piece of plastic that from the outside looked like the real thing only to find out it was not the real thing and that was enough for them to never go back. This is a big deal. And I'm really grateful that you chose to be a part of this day. So I want to welcome you, those of you who have gathered here at Garden City, 
welcome those who are going to gather at Adrian today, those who are gathering at Harrisonville today, those of you who are gathering at the lake today on this holiday weekend. And I'm sure that many of you are joining with us before you head out for some fun. Truly, I, I want to say thank you wherever you may be joining us from. We're grateful to be together. We're journeying through the book of Philippians. And somebody tell me, how many chapters are in Philippians? Just four. Just so happens, we have spent the last six months covering two chapters. Here we are, the first Sunday of July. We're about to hit chapter three. It feels like we're right on pace, all right? So Philippians chapter three. If you got your Bible, I encourage you always to follow along. Um, we're going we're gonna to follow along here on the screen. Let's read a little bit. Philippians chapter three, verse one. Paul says, further, my brothers and sisters. All right, so, so as far as we've gotten, right, the rest, as far as the rest is concerned, here's what he says, rejoice. It's a, it's a common word in this book. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And what we know so far, this rejoicing means to rejoice even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of conflict. And what we're about to read again keeps that consistent message. I want you to rejoice. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. In other words, Paul says, I'm repeating myself. I am repeating some things to you. Where have we seen Paul repeat already? Well, chapter two, the big theme, humility. Remember that? And so in the first verses, he's given us what humility looks like, and then he gives us the picture of the perfect example, who is Jesus. Then he gives us the example of Timothy. Then he gives us the example of Epaphroditus. He just repeats the picture over and over, and we go, okay, that ought to be enough. And Paul goes, nope, that's not enough. Now he's about to use himself as an example. And he says, I, I know I'm repeating. In some of these early chapters, chapter one and two of Philippians, Paul has talked about watching out for some opposition Watching out for some enemies, he's about to repeat that again. So, so Paul says, look, it is no trouble for me to do this. In other words, this is not a burden for me to keep giving you this. It's actually a joy for me, and it's a safeguard for you. Paul says, this protects you, and so I don't mind saying it over and over. Well, what is the warning that he's protecting us about. Verse 2. Let's just read it. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such Confidence. I told you, he's going to use himself as an example eventually in this series. Now, first of all, here's what we notice. We've got two groups. Those, he says, right, and we. So we've got two groups, them and us, a contrast between two groups. And there's a warning. He's saying, I want you to watch out for them. I want you to watch out for those. But right in the middle of this section of text that we're going to look at today, 
There is a weird word. It is the word circumcision. For it is we who are the circumcision. And we're like, what did Paul just call us? Right? Now, look, this is, these are the moments where if this is your first day of deciding to check out church, I'm just going to be honest and say I would assume not only is this probably not a word you would expect to be talked about, but you wouldn't expect for it to be talked about, all right? And so it's okay to go, hey, this is a little weird because it is. It's, it's not really, I hope, one of those conversations that you're having all the time. But I'm going to be honest with you now. We got to talk here a little bit because if we understand what Paul means here, we're going to understand some really big truths about the heart of our God some really big truths about who our God is, we need to understand this, all right? So, we got no visuals today, just so you know, no props today. (laughs) And this is why we do kids' worship, just so you know, all right? This is why we do this. So, I need to give you a little background. Let me me give you a little background on, on what's going on here. It's really Jewish background that you need because... This is the dominant religion that Paul is dealing with as he's preaching the good news of Jesus. The Jews believed they were the people of God. And the reason they believed they were the people of God is because God had declared, hey, I desire this covenant relationship with you. God started that. This covenant relationship secured for the Jews, they believed their their salvation and their eternal life. And the proof of their identity with God, the proof of belonging to his family was a mark. And that mark was circumcision. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, we have this conversation that God is having with Abraham. Abraham, who, who God would say, you, you are the father of this nation that I am calling to myself. You are the father of Israel. And so this is what God says. I want you to see this clearly. Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, God says to Abraham, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. So, in Jewish life, at eight days old, every little Jewish boy would be circumcised. And... If that were not the case in a little baby's life and and a a man wanted to become uh, and belong as a part of of this this nation, he would have to be circumcised. There's a really, really uncomfortable story that happens in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, 
where the context is God's people have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. For 40 years, because they did not believe God that he would bring them into the land he promised, they have been wandering. So what's happened is in that 40 years, the old generation has died and the new generation has grown up, but in that wilderness of 40 years, they had not been circumcised. And so God said, before you enter this promised land, do it. It's the covenant. And they paused there before entering the land. And some scholars believe that as many as a million males would have been circumcised. Now, ladies, you know what we men can be like sometimes when we're sick. Imagine a million of us in this condition all at once We're talking whining like babies. That's the way I imagine it happening at that point in history. But all throughout the centuries, seriously, the Jews were serious about keeping this covenant. Um, The Jewish Talmud, which is a a set of writings of the the oral teachings that was was, um, um, written down, The, the Jewish Talmud reads like this. The commandment of circumcision is more important than all the other injunctions of Scripture, end quote. What that means is the most important thing a Jew can do to secure a relationship with God is circumcision. Now, obviously, this was only for men, but it was the sign of God's favor on the nation, and they believed it. They attached their spiritual hope to this sign of Jewishness. Now, I'm going to do what I think most people want to do when we get to this point in this kind of conversation. We go, God, seriously? Why did you choose this? Can we just be honest with that? I think that's where most people go. It's like, God, seriously? I mean, Didn't you know how many awkward Bible talks were going to happen down through the centuries like today? Like, didn't you know why? God, why did you choose this? Out of all you, I mean, we could have pierced something, right? Tattoos even could happen in that day. I mean, why this? But understanding the reason can be quite humbling. You know that a man is a sinner if you just listen to him speak long enough. You just watch him act long enough. You'll know that I'm a sinner if if you track me long enough and listen to everything that I say and right, Uh, 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 every attitude that I have and and every act that I, you'll know that I'm a sinner. But how much stronger evidence of the depth of a man's sinfulness can be presented than when he produces another sinner? I will remind you 
that Jesus had no earthly father, right? Because there was no human father who could produce a perfect person. It was the spirit of God, Scripture tells us, that that plants the seed in Mary. The point is, this is the point at which human depravity is most demonstrated when a, a man, right, is has a child, you're not just seeing the actions of sin. You're not just seeing, hearing him say things that you know are sinful. You're not just seeing him act in a way, but you are seeing the nature of sin passed on to the next generation. When God demanded circumcision, he was giving them a symbol a symbol that there was an outward cutting away, an an outward cleansing to remind them their greatest need was to be cleansed of their sin at the deepest root of their being. People actually needed a cleansing of sin, a spiritual surgery, not just a physical surgery, but a spiritual surgery at the root of their nature. And the point is, the picture is, when a man has a a son, when a man has a a daughter, when a man has a child, you are not just seeing the act, right, of of, of sin. You, You are seeing the nature of sin at his core being That is passed on. Scripture tells us that when sin entered, right, when Adam sinned, it wasn't just that we experienced the effect of sin on the world, but we then had a nature, a bent to sin. God never intended that this just be a physical thing, but that it was a symbol with far more meaning. Let me show you one place, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. The Lord your God, you ready for this? Will circumcise your hearts. That's what he was about. He will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants. He will circumcise your hearts. That, 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 that is the picture. God says that same phrase, circumcise your hearts. He, he says that in the book of Leviticus. He says that through the prophet Jeremiah. He says it uh, with the prophet Ezekiel over and over in the Old Testament. Those are the words that God uses. Here's what I find interesting. Rarely, rarely did God have to remind his people to keep the ritual of circumcision. He didn't. They were very diligent about keeping that outward symbol, that that outward ritual. But what God had to speak to them over and over again was, but what about your heart? What about your heart? They were very religious. They kept the law they were supposed to keep. They kept the ritual they were supposed but they were not righteous. Their heart was not clean. They were clean in a sense physically, but not spiritually. 
But look at what it says. I'm going to circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you'll love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and you'll live. What is behind this whole thing that at times seems so bizarre when we read it? What's behind it is God saying, I want you. I want you to know how much I love you, and I want you to be able to love me with all your heart, with all your soul. But you know what? We got a problem here. There's a problem between me and you. It is your sin. And so I am giving you this symbol, an outward picture that reminds you that something on the inside actually needs to be cut away in you, a sinfulness that needs to be taken away. I'm giving you something external to show you something internal that needs to happen so that you and I can have this relationship. is that cool? So let me give you one more text that kind of helps us understand what he's saying. I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it, and then I'll give you some explanation here. Romans chapter 2, verse 25, Paul says, Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? A little bit more. The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. Here's what he's saying. The Jews were circumcised on the outside. He's saying, but nothing's happened on the inside. And God, in this text, is declaring that these other peoples of the earth, those who were not Jews, they're often referred to as Gentiles when you read Scripture. He's saying these, these Gentiles whose hearts now have been changed and now they are able to, to keep my, my, uh, my law, they're able to keep my instruction because of this heart change that has happened in them, but they have not been right physically circumcised. He's saying that's who God is pleased with. Because he cares about your heart. The outward circumcision was about an inward circumcision of the heart. And he's saying, the symbol, isolated from the reality, is meaningless. The picture of being clean without actually being clean makes the picture meaningless. An outward symbol of an inward reality. Is there anything else that we celebrate as the church today that's an outward picture of an inward reality? Baptism, that's exactly right. We're actually getting ready to celebrate baptisms next Sunday. We, we will gather all campuses at the farm and we will celebrate steps of baptism that people take. It is an outward picture of an inward reality. An outward picture of a death a burial, a resurrection. Jesus, 
Jesus, who died for our sin, was buried, third day arose. And so baptism is this outward picture of the miracle that has happened inside of us. It's interesting to me that back in Abraham's day, God said, be circumcised so that this will lead you toward an inward reality of you being clean and belonging to me. Now, God says, when this inward reality takes place in you through your faith in Jesus, that he forgives your sin and he gives you his righteousness, that now leads to baptism. It's interesting, he flipped it. He gave them the symbol in the beginning, pointing them toward their need to belong Now, he makes it possible that we can belong and says, out of that, this symbol declares that truth about you. I was thinking this week, man, aren't you glad that you live in New Testament times and not Abraham's day? So that baptism is now the symbol, right? Because that would make it a whole other kind of celebration at the farm next week, right? If if it were different, that, that that would be different. We better keep reading. So let's go back and go, hey, what is Paul telling us to watch out for here? Look at it again. Watch out for those dogs. Now, here's our problem. We read this from our culture, and most people, when they read dogs, they got one. It's a pet. The Apostle Paul is not thinking about dogs like a pet. Every once in a while, I'm reminded of this when I end up back in the day when we could actually get to other countries and Many of those countries were third world countries and sometimes when I'm visiting with people there and I would be showing them pictures from my phone, maybe of my family back, back home and every once in a while as I'm flipping through on my family, there's my dog, Pearl. And you know what the next question that comes out of their mouth is? Your dog lives in your house? Like your dog sleeps in your house? Yeah. Hadn't really thought about it. Yeah. Because in their minds, they're still operating with a concept of what a dog is that is very similar to what Paul thought about dogs in his day. They were the scavengers. People did not have pet dogs. They did not. They did not keep them in their houses. They're not feeding them and taking They did not. They are scavengers. So many pictures in the scriptures. Just dogs eat anything. And in case you don't know that, that's still true. They will eat anything. They are disgusting, right? That's his, that's his concept of dog. Some people know from the Gospel of Matthew, there's this statement Jesus makes about don't throw pearls to what? Swine or pigs. But there's actually another phrase right before he says, don't throw pearls to pigs. You, you know what it says? Don't give dogs what is sacred. Same principle. Same principle. He calls them dogs. Paul's serious about this. Not only does he call them dogs, but he calls them evildoers. What is so evil about what they're doing? Well, what these people are doing is actually leading people away from a faith in Jesus. They are leading people away from a faith in Jesus that somehow faith in him is not enough. 
And so Paul just calls them mutilators, right? He said, you're, you're just cutting the flesh. It's back to the picture of this is meaningless if there's no reality of a heart change. By the way, something interesting that I found this week when I was just studying. There are places in the Old Testament before Jesus shows up that foretell very detailed information about, for example, what would happen to him on the cross, all right? So when you read the Bible long before Jesus shows up, there are prophets and, and there, are, there are people who write the, the scripture and they will give details of what will happen to him. For, for example, there's a place in the Psalms where it talks about how they will divide up his clothes and cast lots for his garments, right? Very detailed. Well, there's one place in Psalm 22. I'm just going to read it to you, not on the screen. You can look it up. Psalm 22, verse 16. Just listen. Listen to this. Here's what he says. Dogs surround me. Evildoers encircle me. They pierce my hands and feet. Did you hear the three words? Dogs, evildoers, mutilate or cut or pierce. Isn't that wild? Same words. We would describe who are these people. They are the people who are enemies of the cross. Paul will use that language later. He says, watch out. You got to watch out. But then he flips it. And in the next verse that wraps us up, he, he, he gives us something very special. He tells us to watch out for them, but then he reminds us who we are as God's kids, as God's family. Look at what it says in verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit. You know what he's saying? We are not the people who are just going through some actions because this is the ritual we're supposed to do. We, we are not just serving God. We're not just worshiping God out of a motive of human tradition. No, we are the people whom God's spirit has come to dwell within us. And by a miracle, a miracle, not a ritual, he has turned our hearts to love him, to worship him, to serve him, that now when we do what we do, it is not just empty action. It is from a heart that his spirit has made new. We are born again. Is that good? We are served. We serve God by his spirit. We boast in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I, I it means that we have come to realize that Jesus is the greatest treasure. And we boast in him, we give him credit for all good things in our life. All, we give him credit. And then one more, we put no confidence in the flesh. What does he mean? He means it's not my 
deeds. It's not my works. It is not what I have accomplished that makes this possible to be good between me and God. I put no confidence in what I have done. So here's what's happening. Paul's preaching this gospel of grace, that salvation, it is by grace through faith plus or minus nothing. By grace through faith in Jesus plus or minus nothing. All his grace, all we do is believe. Entrusting to his grace. Paul's saying you can't be saved by circumcision. You can't be saved by keeping the ceremonial law. You can't stay saved by obeying tradition. It's by grace through faith in Jesus. And along comes these dogs, and the dogs move into the, 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 the church, if you will, and, and they begin to say, okay, look, you, you, can, you can believe in Jesus if you want to, but you also have to be circumcised. You got to be circumcised because this is what it says way back in Genesis. This is what it says in the Old Testament. So you can have a faith in Jesus, but you also must do these other things or you don't belong. They didn't understand that the Old Covenant had been set aside for the New Covenant that was now in Jesus. This becomes so confusing for some of the churches that Paul was a part of starting and helping to grow. Galatians is another book of the Bible, like Philippians, where Paul is writing to the church at Galatia. The whole book, basically, is about this topic. The whole letter. The whole letter is dealing with this very issue where Paul is saying, look, they are giving you a false gospel. They are giving you a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. He says they are perverting this good news of Jesus because they're telling you, you got to observe all these ceremonies and sacrifices and offerings and holy days and Sabbaths and feasts. In other words, put your faith in Jesus, but you got to do these things and earn your keep. You go, well, Okay. But what does that have to do with us today? Like, how is this relevant for us today? And I'm asking you to realize that we have the same thing running around us all the time of people saying, hey, if you want to be right with God, then you've got to do this, you got to do that, you got to light this candle, you got to go to this ceremony, you got to pray this prayer, you got to keep this ritual, you got to buy this absolving, you got to have this special kind of baptism. You got to do your part, and then you will merit being in God's family. Y'all, there are only two, really, two religions in the world. One is the religion of divine accomplishment. And what I mean by divine accomplishment is God does it. Salvation by grace 
through faith in Jesus. That is divine accomplishment. God does it. That is the real battery. That's the real Christian. The other religion is the religion of human achievement. And that is every other religion in the world. So people will say, you got to be, you know, water baptized or you can't get to heaven. What they're saying is that's a necessary work. Jesus plus this. Some will say you got to pray certain prayers and you got to pray them a certain number of times. They're saying it's a faith in Jesus plus this necessary work. Some will say you got to engage in certain types of, of confessions, right, where you, you release those sins to God so that he will actually uh, forgive you uh, again. It's saying it's a faith in Jesus plus this necessary work. Some will say you got to take communion, and if, if you take communion, then on that basis, God will accept, right, the, the merit of that. It's saying a faith in Jesus plus a necessary work. What Paul reminds us of is there are always going to be people who will want to impose works and symbols and systems on grace. And whether they come looking like Judaizers, who is who these were in Paul's day, or Hindus, or Buddhist, or Baptist. Any system of religion that says you do anything to earn standing with God opposes the pure grace of God. A Christian trusts completely and only in Jesus for salvation. People ask me this all the time, get these questions all the time. Hey, my, my so-and-so is this belief. My so-and-so is in this, you know, um, religious system or this denomination. You know, are they, uh, do they believe? And the, way, the only way I know to answer that is that if someone believes that they earn any merit with God, that somehow what they're doing is part of salvation, that is not a true gospel of by grace through faith in Jesus. Can I tell you, that's part of why our name is what it is, heart of life. And the reason we went that direction many years ago is a desire to get this right and say, let us not forget it's the internal before the external. It's the heart before the action. It's the relationship before the ritual. And so in a way, we kind of picked it as a symbol too. Let's put heart in our name so that hopefully it will never allow us to quickly detour to a place that we think somehow all of the good things that we do are earning for us this right standing with God. Some of you are like, but yeah, but like, don't you want to, like, don't you want to, once you know him, don't you want to do some things for him? You want there to be good deeds? Absolutely. 
There is a great difference in doing something because I'm loved versus doing something to be loved. That's the difference. Doing something because you're loved. Yeah, this Jesus that I have come to know, he loves me and I love him and therefore, man, there are so many things that I do, I want to pour out my life. But that's different than saying, look what I've done. Therefore, I belong. Once you know this truth, it's supposed to change how you choose to operate your life because it will change how you measure what is valuable. And all those accomplishments that I at one time thought were so valuable, they're not. All those accomplishments that at one time I thought were so key to me being good enough, earning, right? Good, they're not. And then when I see who Jesus truly is, then I recognize that he is most valuable, surpassing worth. In this series, we're going to call it surprising worth. I'm surprised at what I thought was valuable, and it's not. But I am also surprised because this Jesus that at one time I did not know, I now realize that his worth surpasses all else. That's where we're going in this series. The point of you knowing this, right, obviously what this does to your heart when you recognize the relationship with God and how secure that is based on him, not on you. But the point in knowing this is not to isolate you from everybody who believes different than you. Sometimes that's what people do with a talk like this and like, okay, the whole world believes different. I'm just going to stay away from everybody and, or, or bring on the fight right? And you're just looking for confrontation. How, how in the world can I, can I, right, shove this down somebody's throat? The point to this is when you know who you are securely in Jesus, you can listen to them. You can listen. Because especially in our world today, listening is a part of communicating love. So I can listen and I can act in love as I'm asking God for the opportunity to be bold and clear in sharing with them the one who surpasses all other worth. That is my prayer for you as we walk through this next series together. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to sing a song that declares the truth that we have read today. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your spirit that helps us understand. The truth is, God, if it was not for you, if it was not for your spirit at work, even here today, 
God, th- there's going to be no real understanding of what you have said from your word that, that can go deep to our hearts. God, I'm thanking you today for the miracle that is happening. God, you give us sight. You give us understanding. And God, what you have shown us today, um, as, um, I don't know, I guess as, as awkward as it could feel, God, this truth, this truth about you, this truth that you love us, this truth that even when we sinned against you, God, you, you love, you love and you pursue. And God, you have done everything. You, you, you came in, in humility, putting on skin. You became obedient, even death on a cross. God, you love And I thank you today for a picture of that, a symbol that points to something much deeper. God, my prayer is certainly today that every person who hears my voice would be able to say with certainty that they belong to you. Not because of what we have done, but because of Jesus. And then I pray, God, for all those who are the real thing. God, would you give us that same love that extends to a world around us, extends to our families, extends to friendships, God, extends to neighbors, extends even to enemies. God, that we would love. We would love like you love for the opportunity to declare There is no worth like Jesus. So God, thank you for getting us started today. Thank you for what you're going to show us in this series. God, I pray that you would just continue, God, to grow us, to shape us. God, as you speak, give us courage to listen. Give us faith to follow. And we will do that in Christ alone. It is in his name that we pray today. Amen.